welcome to this Real Politics member chat for August 30th, 2023, being the current year. Good to be with all of you today. It's a Wednesday. That's when we do these things. If you are, uh, if you're downloading it at some other time. Now, Dan just told me the sound is bad. It was the music sounded bad, right? Is that what you're telling me? Um, the music did not come in right, and then I started talking, and you heard me okay. Is that correct? My voice was not good. The volume's going up and down. That's interesting. Um, Matt, are you saying that the volume on the music was going up and down, or that my volume right now is going up and down? Um, I, I thought that uh, just when the song ended, it sounded like it got louder, if I remember correctly. So I realized, okay, so I know what happened with that. So w what actually happened, <laughs> um, <clears throat> this is part of the, <laughs> this is part of the reason I titled this all about you today, is that I'm basically, um, uh, I've been trying to rearrange things around here. And I actually have somebody coming on to, to help me out a little bit. And one of the things that occurred to me in the course of this is that, I keep on changing things around. I haven't documented any of this stuff. And so I've actually I've actually written 5,000 words today. It's just not something that you'd want me to read on the radio. Um, and so <clears throat> you, you know we've had some some audio problems and I and I was really upset about them after the JF Garepi interview because Garepi, I should say, Jean-Francois Garepi, um, I had that interview with him, and the interview was really great, and then I had audio problems during that. I said, I'm absolutely not going to allow this to happen again, and I said, I'm going to fix this thing, okay? And so what, what often happens here is my problems are not, they're not constant, okay? And so I go and I change some things, and then the audio sounds good, and then I'm in the middle of a live broadcast, and then I have a bunch of problems, okay? And so I've decided that I'm going to make a much more determined effort. I've spent a bunch of money. I've solicited some donors to buy some cables and stuff online. Those of you who have, thank you very much. Um, and so, like, I'm replacing my uh, – one of the – one of all right, you know what? I'm just going to talk gear for a little bit here. So, you know, as you may know, I, I wasn't always doing a show called Radical Agenda. I used to call it Some Garbage Podcast. And – <clears throat> the reason I called it that was because largely because it lived up to its name. We, we started doing the show, me and this guy, Eddie, we started doing it like after work while we were drinking and we were sort of like making fun of other podcasters because like every libertarian we know was starting a podcast and we thought they were all trash. And we were like our, our, our um, smack talking after work over drinks would be a more interesting podcast than what these idiots are doing. So we'll do a show and we'll call it Some Garbage Podcast, just like all those other podcasts, except that our podcast was actually good. And so <clears throat> here we find ourselves. But in the course of this, I'm like, okay, well, you know, this was not, it wasn't even properly speaking a hobby. I didn't want to spend a great deal of money on it. And so I bought cheap stuff. And then as time goes forward, you, you know, you, you start to find out why expensive stuff costs more. Um, and so over the years, I've collected a lot of audio equipment and a great many wires, uh, perhaps most notably. If I, what I should do, that'll be uh, one of these, somebody suggested to me that I should do a show on gear and I will do a more thorough exposition of this at some point and I will involve video in that and I will show you this massive collection of wires that I have. And it will do no justice to the issue uh, because when my apartment was cleared out uh, after I lost Internet access, uh, many of my wires did not come with, sadly. But I still have many, many wires. The problem is that 
those wires are not of all of uniform quality. And what you what you end up realizing when you do professional audio is that the quality of your wires actually matters a great deal and not always in obvious ways. And so you have an audio problem that arises and you find yourself in this position where you're like, you have no idea what the source of the problem is. And it can be very difficult to troubleshoot when all of your wires are of different brands and different, you know, states of quality and different states of repair, say. And so, you know, you get to thinking that the problem is maybe your, your audio interface with the computer or maybe it's your mixer or maybe it's your microphone, but it could very well be a wire. And if it's a wire, well, now you have to replace every wire in the thing and try to determine what happens. But when you have a problem with a wire, the... the it's like it's not always a constant problem. There's electromagnetic interference. There's ground loops. There's all these different things that can happen. And so, like, you go change a wire. It might not actually be the wire that's causing your problem, but it will still solve the problem for the time being, or the problem will go away just randomly, and you will think that you have solved the problem. And that actually turns out not to be the case, as you find out midway through a two-hour broadcast. And so I'm trying to replace all of the wires here is what I'm getting at. And, you know... That, that is actually not a small task. Um, and when you replace all of the wires, well, you know, you're, you're moving connections around. And so, you know, these are some of the things that I've been dealing with. And in the course of this, you know, when I, my place in Keene, New Hampshire, I was not very good about cleaning up where one could not see. Okay. And so all my wires are back behind things and I'm not looking at them. <clears throat> and so, you know, there's like dust collects back there and whatever. And to make matters worse, for a period of time, I dated a girl who smoked and I would allow her to smoke in the apartment sometimes. And that did not improve matters. And then when I had all my stuff taken out, I didn't put it in a regular storage unit. I had an, another ex-girlfriend store my things for me and they put it in this um, this rental home of the girlfriend's mother. And they had that was not occupied. And in the course of the house being not occupied, nobody noticed when there was some kind of water problem and a bunch of my stuff got wet. And so I literally spent all day Sunday just like taking wires or Tuesday, I should say. This was yesterday. Um, uh, Tuesday, I, I was like taking wires out of the box, extending them, spraying a paper towel with Windex and wiping wires off. It's not the best use of my time, but it's something that absolutely has to be done. And so... In the course of this, obviously, I'm changing connections is what I'm sort of getting at here. And as a consequence of changing the connections, um, the feed that you're listening to is the what what is on my mixer, the aux feed, okay? So I don't want your audio to feed back into you. So I have what's known in the business as a mix minus or an auxiliary feed. And I have to turn off the sound from you to that feed so that you don't get a feedback loop. The problem is that if I don't turn, sometimes it makes sense for me when I'm not doing the show to turn off another input to that. I'm, I'm doing a poor job of explaining this. Um, <clears throat> when I'm not, there are times when it makes sense for me to turn off other feeds to the aux. And so the, the music was turned off to the aux, and I did not realize that until halfway through the song, is what I'm trying to get at. And so then I turned it up, and that's why you're talking about the volume going up and down. There's also a variable here, which is a relatively new phenomenon. Um, some of you, if you listen to the podcast especially, if you download the MP3, you might have noticed that 
it, it, there's often problems with the with the audio levels being out of whack. That maybe I'm louder, or maybe the caller is louder, or there's clipping is like a distortion that happens when the, when it reaches what's known as the peak on the audio interface. And so I bought a device called a um, it's a it's a noise gate compressor expander, and so it alters the sound in real time. In that, if I'm not speaking. Uh, it won't pick up my fans, say, okay? It, 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 that's the noise gate. And then the compressor is, and the compressor slash limiter is, if the noise levels go too high, if the, uh, not the noise levels, if the sound levels go too high, it reduces the levels so you avoid what's known as clipping. That, that like, it's like a buzzing, it's like a buzz in the sound. It's really, it's really bad. I know you've seen this before or heard this when I've done this. Um, so it does it it automatically cuts off low level sounds which are background noise it automatically reduces high level sounds which are out of whack and sounds that are sort of in the middle it expands in order to create a uniform wavelength of sound to provide you with the best audio experience now <clears throat> that's a very good thing to have indeed except that i don't completely understand the thing yet and i haven't read the entire manual and so I sort of like I get the thing to a point where I think it's appropriate, and uh, and then if I have a problem, well then I wonder if it's the new device or is it a wire or is it the mixer? What is you know? And so this is sort of like what has occupied a great deal of my attention in terms of changing things around here and troubleshooting audio issues. And so there's. A bunch of wires on my Amazon wish list. If anybody is looking to buy me a present, the Amazon wish list is linked from the donate page, slash donate You'll find the link there. Um, there's uh, the everything on that list is commented and prioritized, and there's you know numbers and stuff of uh, how much I need of what, and uh, I will be very grateful for that indeed. But of course, I'm not going to pressure you about it because you guys make this thing possible. You're the paying customers, and so I'm not going to pester you about buying me presents. But thank you if you do. Thank you in advance. And thank you to those of you who already have. Um, the other thing that sort of uh, I mentioned to you that I, I wrote like 5,000 words today. It, it, you know, over the course of the years that I've been doing this, I've been doing it basically not entirely by myself, but I'm, you know, the central, you know, the central feature of it. And I'm responsible for most of the technical stuff. I've had a few people help me out over the years. But there has never – I've never actually – documented like you know okay this service runs on this server at this data center and here's the passwords for this or whatever i don't have anything that i could turn the keys over to somebody and this actually recently became a problem because there's somebody who's going to help me out with some things and i'm realizing like oh i'm going to end up spending all day explaining to you this to you on telegram this is not an efficient way to do things and so I'm like, okay, I have to compose this, you know, technical documentation. And that's actually what I did most of today. So that's why I titled today's uh, show teaser all about you because I didn't, uh, I didn't think it would be appropriate for me to spend 15 minutes talking about this as I just have. And so if uh, any of you have anything you'd like to chime in with, I'd love to hear from you. Well, that's awkward. Okay. Um, I have uh, debate. Debate what? You want to talk about the debate? Um, yeah, I guess uh, what is there to talk about with debate? Um, 
Um, I'm trying to think. Well, it was it was interesting um, to hear them. They, in some cases, they came close to saying some things that I'd like, usually not. I think the closest they came to saying something I liked was when they talked about using lethal force at the border. So that was kind of nice, although it's it's kind of interesting how they talked about economic problems and they talked about crime problems, but they didn't really seem to mention any biological race in that whole discussion. Well, I mean... It, I, I would say that that's I don't know that that's very interesting because that's what you expect to hear at a Republican debate at this point. Right. It's not like it's not like they're going to get up there and be like, all right, guys, you know, we didn't know this four years ago, but it's probably the blacks. Right. They're they're probably not going to do that. Um, you know, uh, it's frustrating. I, I would agree if that's if that's more the point, because, you know, if they're not willing to address the problems, then, you know, what do you need them to be president for, I guess? Um, and so. But uh, they're not going to do that, obviously. Yep. Anybody else want to jump in? Wow. Okay. All right. I'll pull up some news. And if anybody comes up with uh, some burning desires, let me know. Um, Foreign-born judge's decision on Jack Smith's J6 case is so unconstitutional that even CNN had to throw in the towel. Now, this is, I, I find this difficult to believe based on the headline, but let's see what they have to say over at Revolver. If you hadn't already figured out that these sham indictments against President Trump are entirely politically motivated and aimed at interfering in the 2024 election... Uh, the regime's latest brazen move should eliminate any remaining doubts. A foreign-born anti-Trump federal judge who happens to have family connections to Marxist ideologues has scheduled the trial for the day before Super Tuesday. It's almost beyond belief. While January 6th detainees languish in cells, the regime has managed to fast-track Trump's trial, marking it as one of the most swiftly arranged federal cases in D.C. history. At this point, they're not even trying to hide their shameless election interference. It's all out in the open for everybody to see. Now, I want to say something real quick just about the general thing that he's bringing up about um, about the, the, uh, the January 6th trials taking so long. The rules of operation in the federal justice system are such that it's actually like you have they have a a time limit okay the only way that you can extend these things beyond that time limit is a there's some really extenuating circumstance i dealt with this as a consequence of covid right i ended up spending notoriously 14 months in a county jail well i i not the entire 14 months was waiting for trial but what i spent i spent eight months in a county jail waiting for a trial in a federal court um, that's unusual in the extreme. It was just because the courts were basically shut down on account of COVID. I don't believe that that was the case as of January 6, 2021. Now, they might be able to get some continuances on account of the sheer number of people that they're persecuting, prosecuting, whatever the term you want to use is. Um, but it, it seems to me that one most of the time when trials are dragged out, especially in the federal system, not exclusively, but especially in the federal system, it's because the the defense attorneys are asking for continuances, okay? They're saying, well, I don't want to go to trial yet. I don't want to go to trial yet. And that's usually in the client's best interest. Almost all cases waive their speedy trial rights, okay? You have a, you have a right to a speedy trial. 
and it is almost never exercised because when the government comes to you and says you're under arrest, like typically speaking, like they've been preparing the whole time. They're ready to go when they arrest you. They're like, you want to go to trial right now? They're ready to go. Unless you get arrested in the course of the act or something like that, they already know, you know, what the case is by the time that you get indicted. And so it's not, it's usually the defense lawyers who are asking for extra time. Almost everybody waives their right to a speedy trial. The fact that this is never mentioned in any of the news articles that are expressing sympathy for the January 6th defendants is a discredit to the news outlets that are talking about it. Um, If they wanted to mention that, so-and-so has demanded a speedy trial and been denied it, that would be a conspicuous thing. That would tell you that something was very wrong with our courts because if you assert your right to a speedy trial and you are denied this, well, then you get to get your conviction overturned in the Supreme Court, if not sooner. Um, When you say, hey, I'm not ready for trial, you came and snatched my client up while he was in his underwear, and I have no idea what your case is about, and by the way, I think it's nonsense and I have lots of motions that I want to file, well, that can take a very long time indeed. And so, you know, there's nobody who's just like sitting in solitary confinement for two years begging for a speedy trial, and the government's being like, no, we're just going to hold you there. And it's really, it's really troubling to me that nobody calls any attention to that. So anyway... At this point, they're not even trying to hide their shameless election interference. It's all out in the open for everybody to see. Well, of course. Uh, quoting from ABC News, the federal trial over former, Donald Tr- former President Donald Trump's alleged illegal efforts to overturn the 2020 election is slated to start on March 4th, 2024, one day before Super Tuesday in the GOP presidential primary. Yet that, just, yet that, just like four indictments and two impeachments, may not stop the steamroller, that is Trump's campaign, GOP strategist who spoke with ABC News Monday said. When a group is desperate, like the Dems are now, they're no no longer quoting from ABC, you might have gathered by the revolver people talking about desperate Democrats. Um, They tend to make a lot of uh, forced errors and overreaches that will eventually backfire in their face, in their faces, I should say. That's exactly what we're witnessing right now. First, there were the sham arrests targeting Trump, and now we have this absurdity expedited trial date that reeks of political corruption at the highest and most disgusting levels. The situation has gotten so out of control and absurd that even the left-wing propaganda hacks at CNN can't defend this unjust assault on everything this country's supposed to stand for. Reporter Byron York shared a transcript of what went down on CNN on Twitter. On X, as it were, because, you know, there's no such thing as Twitter anymore. I'm not on Twitter because I got banned from that. It's a good thing that X thing came around. I'm talk radio deity on there. Not to be confused with talk radio God. That was the Twitter thing. And so Byron York shares this uh, very, very small screenshot. And fortunately, it is transcribed by the fine folks over at Revolver so that I can um, read it. Uh, let's see here. Here's a close-up of the transcript. Caroline Polisi, a criminal defense attorney. Well, you know, I, I'm a criminal defense attorney, so I tend to align myself more with that side of things. That being said, you know, 2026 was a bit of a reach. That's what they were arguing for. You know, as again, as a defense attorney, you can't just really take the government's word for it. There were 12 million documents here to look through. The government noted, you know, there are duplicative documents in that dump he, that he's, you know, 
Uh, many of them, I'm not doing this. They're, they're, it's a transcript that I'm reading where she says, you know, a thousand times. I know that sometimes I say, you know, too much, and I'm embarrassed about it when I listen to that. But this time, I'm just reading what this idiot on CNN is saying. In that dump, you know, he's, you know, uh, has many of them in his possession already. However, you know, you can't just go on that. You are going to want to look through those documents and make sure there's nothing in there. That's a surprise. There are sophisticated ways to sift through those documents. Word searchability. Mattingly says, sure. Polisi says, uh, that being said, you know, March 4th, it's coming up. A lot of federal trials would give, you know, would give more time than that. So I do think that it's going to be an issue like it's, you know, it's going to it's not going to be a winner on appeal, but it's it's definitely going to be, you know, up for the debate. All right. So I'm sick of listening to this idiot say, you know, and I'm also very upset with Revolver because they're like, oh, the J6 case is so unconstitutional that even CNN can't do it. No, they had a defense attorney come on and be like, well, you know, I think that this is kind of uh, it's kind of moving a little quick. That's kind of what happened. And there's no mention of the Constitution here because Revolver does clickbait headlines, and that's very disappointing sometimes. Anybody want to chime in? Over on, uh, over on Odyssey, Libertariat says, uh, sound is fine on Odyssey. Chris strikes me as a person that doesn't put comments in his code. That's a very astute observation, Libertariat. Um, if I was the type to write code, I probably would be very bad about that. I, I try every so often I have to go and edit a configuration file and I do put um, I do put um, comments in configuration files for my own reference. But typically speaking, like I'm not I, I, I'm very bad at thinking about, hey, somebody else is going to come around and have to you know do this after me. So, like, I don't have, I do not have a list of passwords anywhere. I don't have anything of the sort. <laughs> I have passwords saved in my SSH client. I have passwords saved in my web browser. And I actually have, I have exported, I backed up the configuration file from my SSH client. And I, the SSH client is, for those of you who don't know, is a, it is a, uh, it's a tool to use the command line on a, uh, on a remote server. And I have all of my browser passwords I have exported. And I actually, I gave those, I gave those files to an associate as sort of like a dead man switch. If I'm, you know, if I'm, if I am no longer able to access these things, you know, you have the ability to access them is kind of the idea. But I don't have like, okay, here are the passwords for the server. If I give somebody that, pa if I give somebody that password list, they have my banking account, my, you know, every single thing that I do in a web browser, they have access to. And so that is not what I want to do. Um, when I'm trying to uh, bring somebody on to help with the uh, technical stuff. Rob, uh, Robin Red says, let's talk about copium, the normicons that think there's a secret plan and that we are actually winning. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I'm, I don't get a lot of exposure to this. I don't know where those people are. You know, I think that your normicons are desperately afraid of the future, is my experience. When I look at these people, you know, come on Fox News, they're like, okay, well, if, you know, Joe, Joe Biden wins the presidency again, the country's going to be over. I mean, that's what you hear them say. I don't think that any of them are like, oh, well, everything's going according to plan. That's like weirdo talk. I don't see anybody saying that. Even the Democrats who are getting everything they want, they think that, you know, everybody's everybody involved in politics is like, everything's wrong, everything's destroyed, that's why you need to give me power. It's the whole entire point of the exercise. 
And so I don't know any of these people who are like, oh, everything's everything's going according to plan. If uh, if you want to expose me to some of that, I'll be happy to know. I I know that there's like the Q thing. I, all I know about QAnon is the stupid spam that I have to ban from my chat and the idiots who come and they're like, oh, thank you for following my channel. And they use bad English to pretend they're me. And then they ask you for your crypto passwords. And then, you know, if you give it to them, you deserve what you get. Um. So I don't know anything about normicons who think that there's like a secret plan and we're actually winning. I don't know about that. I mean, every, you know, there's there's lots of secret plans. I mean, that actually is, you know, that's actually the case, obviously. Like I would go so far as to say it's obviously the case that there are many secret plans, it seems to me. But, uh, you know, I don't know that the secret plans are in any way straightforward or, you know, published. They're secret after all. All right, everybody, Tony's here. Be quiet. Kidding. Um, anybody, uh, anybody care to chime in? What has now happened here? What? Da, 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 da. There we go. Okay. That's much better. Um, Soprano's been listening on Odyssey. Oh, well, thank you for doing that, my friend. I had to reset my new router because I set it up while drunk and forgot to write down the password. Well, you know... Um, I know a thing or two about that. Who's unmuted? Who wants to talk? Go ahead. Can you swear here? Mr. Soprano, this is Surreal Politiques. Look, if uh, if you do, you know, I'll get over it, but I'd rather you didn't. You know, try to keep it to a minimum. That's the exercise, you know? Uh, Anarcho-Christian mob, you're unmuted. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, yeah, so as far as the constitutional, not, I don't, claim makes it sound more official, but the claim in the newspaper that you were just reading, it's kind of misleading. I'm not saying you're being misleading, but when people who work in the system say that the defendants waive their right to a speedy trial, that's kind of misleading in my opinion. What I've seen happen is one of two things, either the government of whatever level builds a case for five years and they're ready to go. And they say, Hey, guess what? Let's go to trial in two weeks. Oh, I've seen more reasonable dates than that. I've seen like two months and you're not ready because you didn't have discovery yet. So then you have to waive it in order for your lawyer to be able to actually prepare for trial. And then they're going to say, well, now it's waived, even if it's however much long later. I've also seen some of your less respectable governments, even from the standpoint of somebody who doesn't have anarcho in their name, kind of play chicken with the defendants and they'll arrest them and say, OK, we're going to trial next week and nobody's ready. And somebody has to ask for a continuance because they're not ready. And so they'll get the defendant to waive this right to a speedy trial so that they can prepare and then now it's waived and they can kind of push it a lot longer than they could have if they didn't get you to sign that waiver. Oh, I went through this in Virginia. So like they actually he, he literally you know what they literally did to me in Virginia. I waived my right to a speedy trial. Now, typically speaking, I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but you don't just have a blanket waiver of speedy trial. Your your request for a continuance is your waiver of the speedy trial for that period of time. At least that's the way it works in New York. I know. Now, in Virginia, I had a I, I had a case in the it was obviously nonsense. 
and um, I was, uh, I was, uh, we were scheduled to go to trial this one morning, and the prosecutor goes to my lawyer and he says, "Hey, look, Elma, uh, I, I." think that we might be able to settle this thing. My my position was I will not plead guilty to a felony. You want me to plead guilty to a misdemeanor? I don't care if it's you want to plead guilty to a misdemeanor assassinating the president. I'll plead guilty to any crime you want as long as I get to keep my carry permit. And so and and they were like they had been all about no, 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 we're not doing that. And then the morning that we were supposed to go to trial, he says to my lawyer, hey, Elmer, you know, uh, I think we might be able to settle this thing. I got one more witness I got to talk to. But, uh, you know, if, but we're about to go to trial here. And if I ask this judge for a continuance, well, the judge is going to chew me out. She's really not going to appreciate that. So maybe if you ask for the continuance, then, you know, maybe I could get your client a misdemeanor deal and we'll get him out of Virginia. And Elma said, well, I'd love to plead guilty to a misdemeanor and get my client out of Virginia. That's sort of the whole entire point of the exercise. And so, sure, Robert, I'll go ahead. I asked for a continuance. And the judge was none too happy with my lawyer. She's like, we're here. It's trial day. You guys are all here. What's going on? And he's like, well, judge, I'm not I'm not ready for trial. I just, you know, you're going to make me go to trial without being ready for my client. You can't do that to him. It's my fault, you know, and like goes through this whole like exercise with the judge. And then the judge, you know, reluctantly grants the continuance. And then, of course, the the prosecutor then, you know, screwed us over and dragged this out for another, you know, I don't know what it was, another eight months or whatever. And so, you yeah, know. And that's not surprising to me at all. I mean, in this, what is the saying? The the ride is the punishment. The process. Yeah, the, the process is the punishment. Yeah, it's it's the idea. You know, they're like, well, you know, if we go to trial, this guy's obviously going to smoke me, and then he's going to sue everybody. So I better cause as much pain as possible before I give him what he wants and make him plead guilty to get an admission of guilt so that we don't get sued. Yeah, another thing they'll do is they'll charge you with like 30 things. They know which ones they're going to keep. The defense attorney doesn't. You can't ask, obviously. They're not going to admit to it. And then so you have to spend all your time and money preparing for 30 charges. Then, you know, a month before trial... They drop all but two, and that's all they've ever prepared for because that's all they've ever intended on preparing for. I mean, effectively, it's a huge fine, but I don't think that's ever been challenged, and I don't I don't know that it could be. Yeah, they certainly know what they're doing. You know, it's not uh, – they're not – you know, they're not Mr. Magoo making mistakes to get what they want every time, right? You know, it's a – they uniformly get their way, and they're like, whoops. <laughs> They know exactly what they're doing, you know. And so, you know, in the case of Trump, I mean, something tells me, but here's my understanding of it, too, is that, you know, okay, fine, they they scheduled it for the, the primary day, which is very conspicuous. It spells out their political motivations, but there's no secret that it's politically motivated, right? And and by the way, like, they're actually allowed to have political motivations, okay? So the fact that they have political motives is irrelevant to the question of whether or not you broke the law. So, you know, in my case, like, we, you know, I'm arguing with my lawyers. I'm like, well, you know, there's, they, they've never brought a case like this on this basis. They, you know, this is ridiculous. That You know, nobody's even been charged with this crime in New Hampshire for 20 years, much less, you know, under the circumstances that I'm facing. And it's very questionable. And obviously the investigation preceded the offense conduct. And the whole entire point here was to get me for something. And they don't care about this guy. And they're like, well, they're allowed to have motives, right? <laughs> the, the only thing that matters is whether or not you broke the law. The court does not care the reason that the guys that the FBI doesn't like you, that the, the court cares whether or not you broke the law. 
And and that's what the court is here to determine, not whether or not the FBI is, you know, doesn't like your politics, you know, and so. And so which is why literally everything is illegal, all the way, which almost discredits. I mean, I know who I am sitting here saying this, but kind of brings disrespect to the system in some way, because it's like, OK, well, murder is the same thing. And I know that this I know that the sentences are different, but murder is the same thing as mixing Lysol, not Lysol, mixing pine salt wrong in a bucket. Because both of those are federal offenses and both of those are felonies. Like, it's absolutely insane. Like, these are this, these both things are crimes. And if you just watch somebody long enough, yeah, they're going to do something illegal, whether they know it or not. I, I, uh, I think that you're making too far of a rhetorical leap to say that they are the same thing because they're both illegal and federal offenses. But I, I, I guess I, I see your idea. And I'll tell you, too, by the way, I think that these people are trying to discredit the legal system. OK, it's not these are not law and order types. OK, when the Democrats run around telling you that nobody's above the law, they say that because they think that normal people agree with that statement and that it will grant them license to commit their crimes. Right. They don't believe that very clearly because they believe lots of people are above the law, not least of all them and illegal immigrants. And so, like, you know, these are things they mimic the values of the people they're taking advantage of because they're they're con artists. Um, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to discredit the legal system. When when Roberta Kaplan drags Donald Trump into court with some mental patient who says he raped me, like she doesn't think that Donald Trump raped the woman. She he she doesn't even think that. The, the, that the court is going to administer justice, it's not even necessarily about the process being the punishment. The primary motivation for this is showing everybody what a nonsensical farce the court system is by by putting him through this, right? And it's the same thing in the Charlottesville trial. I mean, these people put a fake priest on the stand. I mean, and they didn't even prep him to lie very well. It was embarrassing what I did to that guy. And so, like, you know, they're discrediting the legal system because they're fundamentally chaos agents who are who are trying more than anything to, you know, to bring down our existing you know system of government and replace it with something else. Uh, that's fundamentally what they're trying to do. And, and when they make these nonsensical cases and they cause people to lose faith in the system on the right, they're accomplishing their goals. Um. Sorry to interrupt, but Chris, have you ever considered the possibility that these people are not destroying everything on purpose, but rather they're just inbred? It's like the elites, because like a lot of the elites come from an ethnicity that was already inbred, and then they're the elites within that elite group, and they have an even smaller gene pool. So I'm wondering if maybe that explains why they're making what I see as mistakes. Um. I'm sorry. Let me try to understand that. Hang on one second. So, bang, 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 bang. What is that? Why are you doing this? Check, 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 check. Yeah, I can't hear him. Yeah. Yada, 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 yada. I heard him say that. Yada, yada, yada. Check, check, check. Okay, much better. All right. 
I think I might have to. <laughs> All right. Anyway, uh, I'm using a different mixer than I used to use too, and it and it has some features that I like, but I think that it's bad because my mic just went out completely. Anyway, so uh, I rebooted the mixer and I'm and I'm back now. As a consequence of my little audio problem, I lost the thought that was in my head. Could you please repeat your question, sir? The elites tend to be of an ethnicity that's already inbred, and then they are an even smaller breeding pool within that ethnicity, the elites of that ethnicity. And so maybe if they just keep inbreeding among themselves, the elites, maybe they inherited their position without earning it, so to speak. Well, they definitely inherited their positions without earning it. That's that's the purpose of the exercise, of course. They, they, they want to maintain their positions and shut out all potential competitors, and so they go to a great deal of effort to accomplish that. Um, I, I don't know that one can sum up what they're doing to making mistakes for one, and even if we assume that what they're doing is making mistakes, um, these are not consequences of uh, cognitive impairment, say, right? If anything, these people are overthinking stuff, I, I would think it fair to say. They're, they're going... Uh, you know, they're not, you know, smart people simplify things, generally speaking, right? Like that's kind of the, that's kind of the idea. And when you're overthinking things, you know, you can, you can, you can make a lot of errors that way. And, um, you know, that's one of the things is, you know, a concept, there's that one of the downsides of high intelligence is, um, you know, y y you overestimate your own capacities and you, uh, and, and therefore you get yourself into trouble that way. And so I, I'm not sure that what we're witnessing is the consequence of cognitive impairment. It, it, you get that impression with Joe Biden very clearly, but, you know, clearly the people who are telling him what to say, they know what's going on and he's just doing it wrong. Well, I mean, I think the ethnicity I'm talking about, I'm going to be a bit vague here, but I'm talking about a certain group. Yeah, we, and, we all get it. You know, it seems like they've always had high IQs, but con but combined with some emotional issues that make them a little bit insane. Yes. And so I, I, I think that sometimes that can be the issue. Also, you know, you, you've probably read the book Coming Apart, The State of White America. So this was just looking at white people and how, like, the the more intelligent people are less able to deal with regular people because they're separated. Well, I think that maybe if you take that separation and you combine it with them being a different ethnicity, I think those two things might explain how they might say things that are perfectly socially acceptable in their own small little group without having, maybe without having an instinctive capacity to uh, to understand that that is a, a majority position only within their small group, whether it be that ethnicity or it be the elites more broadly. So I actually, I haven't read Coming Apart. I've read about Coming Apart and I've read other Charles Murray books. I've read um, The Bell Curve and I've read um, Facing Reality and I've read Human Diversity all by Charles Murray and some of his columns. Um, so I understand the thrust of coming apart, but I actually do not, I have not read the entire book to speak on the, uh, the detailed contents thereof. You know, I think that what uh, my understanding of it is that 
what he's getting at is basically that they're walled off and separated from from the people that they see themselves as so fit to rule, right? That they're basically, you know, as a consequence of their, you know, I hate using the word privilege because it has all these stupid left-wing connotations to it, but fundamentally that's what it is, is that they are walled off from the consequences of their own behavior by their positions, and they keep on, you know, enacting all these programs without any concept of... I think that the claim in the book, in any case, is that they're making all these programs without any concept of the impact that it has on regular people. There's a different interpretation of world events very clearly, which says that they understand it full well, and it's a genocidal plot to destroy them. Um, I think that there's a there's substantial debate to be had over which one of those two things it is. But, you know, there's certainly enough people in this country who actually don't know, right? And I think that you know, our Republican elites, so to speak, are probably guilty of that, probably more than our Democrat elites who are monsters and are trying to destroy everything. Republicans, in my humble estimation, are, are typically more genuinely misguided. Um, you know, so I think that if I understand correctly, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Is is that the claim essentially in, in coming apart that because they are walled off and do not have any interaction with these people, their their cultures are foreign and therefore, you know, they, 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 they can't govern these people because they have no connection to them. Is that accurate? Uh, yes, of course. They didn't talk about that ethnic group or nose size or anything like that. They just talked about white people. But basically, they were saying, you know, within the white race, you have people moving to such different parts of um, the country or different cities that it's almost like they're forming two different races, even if they were a single race to begin with. And um, when you have that sort of thing, it makes it so that you might be in the top 25% with your um, buddies you know from your elite college or whatever, and you spread ideas that you know you think are popular because everybody around you either thinks those ideas are popular or maybe if they don't, they they don't dare say so. And then you go say that to, to regular people, whether they be regular white people or whatever, and you realize your ideas are not as popular as you thought they were. Well, I, yeah, I think that, that that sounds like a very reasonable assessment of what's going on in our politics. What what where are you? I, I guess you're inferring the cognitive impairment from from other factors. Fair to say. Yes. And, you know, the cognitive impairment, it doesn't have to be massive. Like, let's say you had uh, we could talk about a company, for example. You know, um, let's say the founder of a company has an IQ of 160 and he's mentally well. Well, I mean, he could have a kid with an IQ of 140 and let's say men tend to marry down. So maybe instead of 140, next generation, it's 120. And maybe in addition to that, the guy's less mentally stable or he's less hardworking. Um, so that's even without taking inbreeding into account. But if you do sort of take into account um, the idea that you might be talking about an ethnicity where, um, like I said, the average person in that group is already a little bit inbred. They already act a little bit crazy, um, despite having high IQs. And then you take the elites within that group, which might be, if the original group was like 18 million people, then the elites within them might be 
you know, 100,000 people worldwide, you know, if they're all breathing together, they might be trying to keep the good genes in the family, but they get the double copies of the negative recessive alleles as well. And it doesn't have to manifest itself in terms of like pure mental retardation. The person could still be above average, but just be a little bit nutty. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I... I have a I don't think that there's a great deal of evidence that there's a great deal of interbreed. I don't th I don't get the sense that there's a great deal of incestual breeding, even amongst this ethnic group in modern times. As I read Kevin McDonald's books, he, he discussed that uh, it was very common for like the uncle to marry the niece for a period of time. But I don't think that that's the case anymore. And so, you know, already inbred due to historical bottlenecks it doesn't require like uh brother and sister or cousin with cousin uh in a way if they're already like second cousins even if they're complete strangers that kind of makes sense that you know they could be a little bit crazy it doesn't always have to be you know natural selection selecting for um a specific trait and, and it is true that in a certain country in the Middle East, they actually will offer free screening for things like Tay-Sachs or Gaucher's or Pick-Neiman's disorder because these are recessive things that are very bad if you have two copies. And even upon random breeding between seemingly unrelated people, the, the frequency of them having issues was common enough that they decided to implement such a program. Yeah, I, I, I actually I understand that. Um, and so but I mean, in that case, you're talking about, you know, recessive genes um, is not I, I don't think that you can equate that to incest, uh, I, I'd say. And the other thing is this. Look, I mean, I understand that there's a there's a disproportionate representation of a particular ethnic group in our politics. That's obvious. OK, I, I don't know that. Their pathologies explain that much of our problems, if I'm honest with you, okay? Like, it, it, I, I'm, I get like, how do I want to phrase this? Because I, you know, it, it seems to me that there's plenty of, um, there's plenty of non-Jewish people in our politics with plenty of power who are making their own decisions, and those decisions are not always sound. And so it, it, I would say that, you know the the evidence for your theory is is scant in my experience. I, I'd say that. I'll let other people talk. One more thing to say: there was a person who was young when they first started doing this. They may have been very competent when they're young, but um, if there's somebody who's in charge of all this and they're supposed to be top of their game, and they used to be fifty and now they're eighty or something, and they don't want to give up power just yet, maybe they don't want to give their son power just yet, um, they may hang in there and start making stupid decisions well beyond the time they should have retired and handed it down to the next generation. Well, that's certainly going on. I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of people in politics who, whether it's because of their age or whether it's because as a consequence of the privilege of their positions, they've lost all touch with the people that they're governing. I mean, you know, I talked about this before that, you know, 
there's sort of uh, I don't want to be accused of libertarianism here, but you know, there's a there's a theory essentially that you know power does not you know pers persist unwarranted long. Okay, that basically if you if you're a per person who's just simply dug in as a consequence of your position, and you're and you're and you're and you're perpetuating your rule based on or your market power, say. You're perpetuating this only based upon its prior existence. Like eventually, that's going to go wrong because you're going to make mistakes, and then you're going to get, you know, ousted by a competitor. Now, of course, you know, in government, it doesn't abide by the rules of the of the you know the so-called free market, and so you know people are better able to dig in and protect themselves from competition than they are and say, you know, you're down the street from the guy who has the better pizza. And so, you know, but if you basically, if you're the best pizza place in town and you're like, well, you know, I, I run the whole pizza industry and therefore I can start making my pizza with salt instead of flour, then, you know, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel the consequences of that pretty fast. And so, you know, you don't, you don't have it. That doesn't happen that quickly in government, sadly. And so, you know, people as a consequence of being in their positions too comfortably, they... Uh, they make mistakes and are shielded from the consequences of those mistakes, and therefore they do not correct their errors, and they persist in their errors, and then things get very, very bad until you know until it until the errors cannot be sustained any longer. And that seems to be a very plausible theory for what goes on in our politics. Yeah, that's all I had to say. Okay, anybody else want to chime in? I will, uh, I'll start trying to find, oh, go ahead, Tony. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, I just, uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I saw you uh, interacting with this Twitter account earlier today and, uh, hey, Daniel Harper, you know, it's kind of weird that you like to talk about Chris Cantwell's, uh, you know, wiener. I think that's awfully kind of suspicious. And, you know, I just want to ask you, Daniel, uh, how does it feel being a college-educated chemist that has never actually held the real job outside of being a retail worker at a liquor store? Uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean, it's also funny how you spent years doing your whole uh, Antifa blog, and the only thing you could muster up is $1,200 a month. I mean, I just want to know what it feels like to be such a loser. And uh, I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, I got to give you credit for not killing yourself when you look in the mirror, because, I mean, it, you look so disgusting. Uh, at the very least, man, shave your beard. It's disgusting. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, I think we all have a laugh at your expense. I'm going to share your Twitter account here, and uh, I just think it's embarrassing, and I think you should really consider uh, ending it all. Thanks, guys. Well, that is uh, that is a very astute observation, my friend. And so um, I am notified today because somebody tagged me in a reply to his comment that a fellow by the name of Daniel Harper, uh, who is the host, co-host, I should say, of a podcast titled I Don't Speak German, uh, he posted on Twitter, he says, I know more about Cantwell's, I'll just say it, you know, content warning, I'm going to uh, reference a body part. I know more about Cantwell's dick than any reasonable person should know. And then I, you know, I go up in the thread and he apparently, he's, he's claiming that He's heard me speaking a great deal about like what I about what makes my uh, what gives me an erection. Now, I have not listened to every episode of the Radical Agenda. I, I imagine that this has been mentioned a time or two, but it's certainly not anything that I've discussed with any frequency in stage six. I don't know what this man is talking about. 
But, you know, this is where their minds go, that they just they think about genitals all of the time. Perhaps if I were to talk about cutting my genitals off and, the, uh, and dilating the new orifice, uh, Mr. Harpo would find that more enjoyable to listen to. But um, he seems to have an obsession with what's between my legs one way or the other. And I would go so far as to say that he could find more politically interesting information than that for his I Don't Speak German podcast. Um, I have listened to, I think, one episode of I Don't Speak German. Um, he did an episode. I published something titled, I think I called it Siege Posting. And I was basically saying that like a, a bunch of um, a bunch of edgy idiots who were causing me a great deal of trouble were bad actors. And uh, I had written something to the tune of, you know, three or four thousand words on the subject. And uh, he decided to cover that and this and this group of fools. And so I listened to that podcast and I would go so far as to say that it was not a very well produced production. Um, but, you know, these people are not known for excellence. They hate excellence. They want to remove all standards because if there are standards, then they'll be judged. And they don't like that at all. But they do like talking about genitals, and that's what they did today. And so, yeah, the guy says, uh, I know more about Cantwell's D than any reasonable person should know. And I would say that, you know, there's some people out there who know plenty about Cantwell's D, uh, more than you, sir. And they're, they're eminently reasonable, or at least they were until I dumped them. Then they went crazy. Like, you wouldn't believe it. They went nuts. Every time I take it away, they go nuts. But, you know, that's, uh, that's how things go. Anyway, anybody uh, anybody want to talk about something other than my D? Okay, I'll pull up uh, somebody. Somebody muted, unmuted, and then muted again. They were like, "Oh, we're not talking about the D anymore." All right, we'll I'll, I'll yeah, just mute. Add, hey, Daniel Harper, you're a loser. Yeah, Daniel Harper, you're a loser. That's that's uh, that's definitely true. He's definitely a loser. Um. Let's see. Um, let's see here. I just hate the news now. Like, and by the way, I'm going to have to find something other. Like, what's the what's the next thing that I have to go to? Because I'm getting sick of Revolver. I I, I used I got sick of Drudge. I found out that Drudge was basically a Democrat plot, and I'm really upset about it. And then I was like, Revolver's great. And then the headlines just got edgier and edgier and edgier. And it's like you realize, like, you click on it, you're like, it's not what they said it was. I need to find a new Drudge report. Uh, and so if you guys want to provide me suggestions, I'll be very interested to know about that. Otherwise, we're going to have to make our own, I'm thinking. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, by the way. I don't have the time or the cognitive bandwidth to dedicate to it but that's a fine like future project i was even looking at um there's a wordpress theme that's designed to look like the drudge report and uh i almost bought it a few times and i'll probably do that at some point but not yet um there's a hurricane there's gonna be a bunch of wind and rain we should probably talk about that for the next hour no i'm kidding i wouldn't do that to you um Nikki Haley's searching in Iowa. She's going to be president, guys. I kind of doubt that. Uh, Mitch McConnell is having a stroke again. I think it's time to uh, take him out to pasture. You just go put him and Joe Biden over the same ditch and let them fall asleep over it. That's right. I just said that they're going to fall asleep by the ditch. We're not talking about Fed posting here. Um, 
And so I don't think that Mitch McConnell is uh, is probably going to be uh, doing his thing very long. He's going to find have to find some other way to earn his uh, earn his yuan. I think. Um, let's see here. Let's see here. Oh, Alice Cooper uh, was hired to uh, sell cosmetics because he's a man named Alice. And then he said something about trans people. And they were like, hey, wait a second, Alice. (laughs) We thought you were all about the trans thing. And now we've got to fire you. Rock singer Alice Cooper has lost his deal with an LGBTQP. They don't say P, but I do, because you know what those people are about. With an LGBTQP-owned cosmetics company after he called cases of transgender people a fad. Cooper's comments were published last week with an interview with Stereo Gum in which the singer was asked his opinion on gender-affirming care because we're reading from The Hill and they say gender-affirming care instead of genital mutilation and drugging and mutilating children because it's The Hill. Interview, the interviewer brought up Cooper's 1974 interview with SPEC in which the singer said everyone in the future will be bisexual. <clears throat> Quote, I'm understanding that there are cases of transgender, but I'm afraid that it's also a fad. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people claiming to be this just because they want to be that, Cooper said. I find it wrong when you've got a six-year-old who has no idea he just wants to play and you're confusing, telling him, you're confusing him, telling him, yeah, you're a boy. You could be a girl if you want to be. Cooper argued that people should at least become sexually aware before they start considering their gender and claim genitals are... Uh, uh, claim genitals are a logical way to determine gender because that's hate speech now. If you have these genitals, you're a boy. If you have those genitals, you're a girl. Cooper told the music blog, "Whoa, you know, this is one this is one bit of genital talk that Daniel Harper's not going to like. He's going to have to cut that out. Of, Don't speak German, huh?" Um, there's a difference between I am male who is female or I'm a female that's male and wanting to be a female. You were born a male, okay? So that's a fact. You have these things here. Now, the difference is you want to be a female. Okay, that's something you could do later on if you want to. But you're not a male born a female. Oh, man. You see what passes for edgy these days? (laughs) He's like, you know, if you guys want to change your gender, that's fine. If you want to go and cut your pee-pee off and uh, if you want to trade your hole for a pole, as the song goes. Anyway, if you want to trade your pole for a hole, as they, uh, as that very hilarious remake of um, Rich Men North of Richmond goes, you're welcome to do that so far as Mr. Alice is concerned. But, uh, you know, maybe they wait until you've hit puberty first. And they're like, wait a second. What is all this adult stuff about? The whole entire point here is to corrupt the youth, you monster. In the light of recent statements by Alice Cooper, we will no longer be doing a makeup collaboration, Vampire Cosmetics wrote in a statement August 24th. We stand with all members of the LGBTQIA P community and believe that everyone should have access to health care. That's right. And so this is Vampire Cosmetics, of course, because, you know, if they called it Satan, then you might get suspicious of them. But Vampire, well, Vampire is a fictional character. You're not going to believe that we're demons. You're just thinking, oh, it's good. Vampires. Vampires are cute. Sometimes they're hot in the movies. I should look like a vampire. According to its website, Vampire Cosmetics is a women-owned, disabled-owned, and LGBTQP-owned cosmetics brand that sells vegan cruelty and talc-free products. Well... You know, if you're selling vegan cosmetics, I mean, what's the point of this whole thing if you're not wiping bacon fat all over your face? 
Pre-sale for Cooper's collaboration with the company titled Alice Cooper Makeup Collection launched August 14th, 10 days before Vampire Cosmetics terminated the deal. In the company's initial announcement, Vampire Cosmetics said the collaboration was inspired by Cooper's distinctive look and style. The collection included guitar and amp-shaped makeup palettes, microphone-styled lipsticks, and Cooper's whiplash mascara, which the company described as a unisex product originally created to liberate your eyes. Yeah. The Hill reached out to Vampire Cosmetics and Cooper's representatives for additional comment, and that's the end of the story, which tells us that they likely did not respond before press time. So, unfortunately, I guess that uh, you're going to have to buy your cosmetics from another company than Vampire if you don't want to support the whole transgender thing. Sorry to tell you. Let's see here. What's in the chat? Take niacin, get the same benefit as tobacco... Uh, without the damage, niacin. Well, uh, something tells me that niacin's not going to be as much fun as vaping, Hatting. Sorry to tell you. Uh, and angry dad, he's going to finish his cigarette. Don't, don't smoke. Oh, and he's going to throw in a dip too. Oh man, that's you know. You guys should all have my vices. Your vices are bad. My vices are awesome. Um, let's see here. All right, so these guys are arguing about which tobacco poison is best, and uh, I probably shouldn't read the whole thing. Uh, 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. I'm kidding. This is not the, uh, we don't have phones today. This is the video chat. Hit the like, you Philistines. Well, half of you have done that on Odyssey. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Go ahead. So I think that there's two simpler explanations um, than the genetic thing for the uh, world rulers. One is that the Internet is still really new. And since the beginning of human sapience, well, between travel and the Internet, I guess, more accurately, you could kind of and I've seen there's when the Internet was really new, you they caught people doing this and uploaded it because it was hilarious. Like someone who would be running for office and they'd fly to Texas and say one thing and then they'd fly to California and say something completely opposite and then fly. They could tailor their speech to their audience in the way that they can't really do any anymore. And that kind of throws the whole, not the whole thing off, but that makes it a lot more difficult when video cameras are, $50 if that they're a benign add-on that comes with a phone and you can upload everything to the internet you have to figure out how to be appealing or at least tolerable to everybody when you absolutely did not have to do that even 30 years ago yeah I think that that's an astute observation I mean that especially the people who have like had the um who have had the support of the mainstream media say, right? If you know, if you're uh, if you're if you're remotely right wing, um, the media has been trying to destroy you for a long time, internet or none. And so reporters will say, like, oh, he said this thing over here, but not over there. That means that he's a Nazi. Um, and there was another party that was like, well, I don't think that we should be mutilating your kids. Well, yeah, of course we should be mutilating your kids, and nobody bothers to correct that. But now. You know, you have, you know, actual human beings with souls and they have cameras. And so those people are uh, they're calling them out. And that that creates more challenges uh, for the people who are trying to deceive us. Yeah. And that's a new skill set for them that they've had to get 
rapidly. The second thing is that just like in any other industry, just because it's an illicit industry or industry we don't like or an evil industry doesn't mean that skills work differently. So you have knowledge handed down and that's as true in central banking as it is in gardening. And we're coming up on either we're coming up on or we just exceeded it. But last time I, I checked, we were just coming up on it. So we might have exceeded it. The longest living reserve fractional reserve currency or in the, well, now it's a non-reserve currency, but I think the same thing applies. So they don't really have a playbook to look back on. Okay, in your 230th year, 20, whatever it is, it's a little over 200 years, the longest living one. And we're about there. So they don't necessarily know what to do. They don't necessarily have information that will work for them. They've kind of gone past the the, the calendar as to what they don't have to make up as they go. Well... You know, I I don't know that I buy the timeline of the currency. I mean, you know, it's not the it's not the age of the currency that's at issue. Of course, the the issue is whether or not the things that you've done for the last two hundred years are sound. And of course, the things that they have done are not sound. And the things that they are doing are increasingly unsound. And they're basically, you know, sort of as we've talked before about you know people getting decadent and too comfortable in their position. You know. Joe Biden gets out there and says, we're the United States of America. There's nothing that we can't do. Yeah, there is. Like, there's a lot of things that you can't do. And you're about to find the hard physical limits on your powers pretty soon if you don't stop it. Um, you know, there's a limit to how much money that you can create with before, <laughs> before inflation picks up. And then there's a limit to how much inflation can pick up before you don't have a currency anymore. And there's a, there's a, much, there's a much lower limit uh, at which people stop considering your currency a credible store of value at which point that begins the rapid decline that means that you have no currency and so i would say that i i don't know that there's i don't know that there's an instruction manual that says at year 109 you're good and then at year 204 you're you're in the dark because that's we haven't we haven't written the manual that far i don't think that that's i don't think it's that specific like okay turn to year 198 but there is institutional knowledge just like there's institutional knowledge in any other industry and you you know what to do based on what people before you have done. And if you're talking about fiat currency is the right word. If you're talking about fractional and non-reserve currencies, what you're essentially doing is kicking the can down the road. And you can only do that for so far so for so long. And they kind of because they've done it and then burned it and then done it and burned it and done it and burned it. They kind of know what to do at about you know how far they are and if nobody's gone this far in the past then there's things that will work when you start that won't work 200 years in well i haven't i haven't read the the uh i haven't read the uh the operational primer for the central bank but my my presumption is that people who uh who are studying the art of central banking for purposes, you know, for purposes of actually exercising the power, are are not looking at it in terms of a timeline. What what they're looking at it in terms of is monetary conditions. And so, w what they're looking for is, okay, w what is the circumstance I am met with, and what is the solution to the problem? And the, and the problem that they are met with is the government is spending too much money, <laughs> and the Federal Reserve keeps on uh, uh, facilitating this. 
because it is powerless to do otherwise. And so that creates all they can do is raise interest rates to try to take the money back out of circulation. And that, you know, there's limits on how much they can do that. Right. And so they're they're giving the government money, the government's spending the money, the government's, you know, inflating the currency as a consequence of this. Then the Federal Reserve is increasing interest rates, which increases the rate at which the government must pay to borrow, which causes the government to spend more money. And so they're they're stuck in this cycle. And it's a consequence of irresponsible policymaking. And it's, I don't think it has anything to do with the timeline. It's, it's you know, the, the reason that you have a longer lasting currency here is two reasons fundamentally. One, you know, w- this country was originally populated with good stock, okay? You had the best Europe had to offer. People died on their way over here if they were too weak to make it. And the people who survived, you know, did so as a consequence of prudent behavior. And you had immigration controls, which prevented other people from coming in. And then you remove the immigration controls and you subsidize the breeding of people who are not fit to breed. And then you ended up with a population of people who are garbage. And now those people are electing rulers who are making poor decisions. And then we are running into all of the familiar pathologies that attend to having a sick population. And so, like, you know, I mean, is there a correlation in the timeline of that? Perhaps there is. Uh, you know, there's a certain point at which, you know, in a democratically elected government, you know, what's the, you know, I, I think that the the actual title is disputed here. People call this the Titler cycle. You know, people go from uh, bondage to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to apathy, from a apathy back into bondage or something to that effect. And like this has repeated itself, you know, in, you know, roughly similar format in many different societies, particularly in government. Oh, that's the other one. The other one is a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government because it, a democracy always ends up with the, with the people who are running for office figuring out that they can buy votes by promising generous gifts from the Treasury. The people will vote for that. And then it, the democracy always collapses as a consequence of loose fiscal policy and is followed invariably by a dictatorship. Now, I've misquoted that a little bit, but that's the idea. And so, like, this is a process that has repeated itself more than a few times. And if that has not happened here, there are, you know, first of all, the the reason that it didn't is because you had a prudent population that was better than other populations. And as soon as our people ceased to be better than other people, well, you know, there was a predictable consequence to that, quite certainly. You, You can't have the power to print money and then be imprudent. Like, those two things go very poorly together. And so um, I think that that's a predictable consequence. And so I would say that, you know, more than the timeline of the survival of the currency, it probably coincides more with immigration policy, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's the only factor. I'm sure that and that that is a I'm sure that is one of the main factors it just doesn't seem like something, even, even if you have the best people possible, which is somewhat of a paradox, if you have a fractional reserve or a non-reserve, that you can't do that forever. Other than the question is, why didn't they burn it yet? And that I don't know. Well, they, you know, the, the, the reason that they haven't, because they don't want to burn it, I don't think is the idea, right? So, like, there's, I, I understand in some circles there's thinking about the banking system that it is inevitably going to collapse. I do not believe that that is true. So, like, 
you know, you, you don't have to have irresponsible monetary policy. Like, that's actually a choice that people make, right? You can have prudent, responsible people issue currency. Like, that's that can be done. And, and what ends up happening is that that is not the choice that is made, and then predictable consequences ensue. And so, like, you know, this there's an idea that these are problems inherent in the system. But the thing is that, like, you, there's no system that makes up for bad people, right? So you can't, you can't, have, a, you can't have a good enough money supply to facilitate open borders, right? You, you can't have a good enough money supply that will facilitate communism. You, you, can't, you can't basically just subsidize the breeding of unfit people and open your borders and let anybody come in and then collect welfare. Like, there's no monetary policy that will facilitate that. You, you, the only thing that you can do is, like, have good people do responsible things. And if you don't have good people doing responsible things, then catastrophe will ensue. And, like, it doesn't... The, mon, the monetary system is irrelevant beyond that because, the, like, actually, like, the dollar actually, even with all the cat, cat, catastrophe that's going on, you know, can you imagine... When you spend Bitcoin, like, you, you have to do it in dollar form, right? Like, you don't go in there and say, well, what's the price of this in Bitcoin, and I expect the price to be the same tomorrow. Like, you don't do that because the price is all over the place. And that has a lot more to do with the cryptocurrency markets than it does to anything to do with the Federal Reserve. You're, you're, you know, people think that Bitcoin is sound currency because the money supply is stable, but, like, it, it, it most certainly is not... Like, the price is not stable. So, like, you know... The, the the only thing that you can do is have responsible management of government. There's no replacement for that, and you can't have you can't have a responsibly managed government without like decent people. And there's, I think that you know libertarians in particular, but not exclusively, you know, make this error that you know there's like software that you can install that's just, just going to somehow make you know make up for all the f- shortcomings of human beings. And I don't believe that that's the case. Like you have to have responsible people managing your your money supply and your banking system and you and there is no alternative to that there's no unmanaged banking system there's no like there's there's no you know oh well the the banking system has rules that are such that they can't be mismanaged no like as soon as irresponsible people manage the money supply it doesn't matter what the rules are they'll break them right you know it doesn't it doesn't matter the the you need prudent, responsible people electing a prudent, responsible government to do prudent, responsible things. And as soon as you lose one of those things, they all have synergistic effects. So if you have prudent, responsible people mistakenly elect an irresponsible, imprudent government, well, then the imprudent, irresponsible government will have imprudent, irresponsible monetary policy, which will have deformatory effects on the population. And then the, those, defor- those deforming effects on the population will eventually... Um, repeat themselves in elections, and then you'll have a more prudent, imprudent, irresponsible government making more imprudent, irresponsible monetary policy. And so, like, you know, that's that's my thoughts on it, I guess. Wait, and you can't have any system. I mean, you can, but horrible things will happen. You can't have any system well if you don't have good people in it. People are not fungible. I, that myth is absurd. Just, But giving any human a print-infinity money power just strikes me as a horrible plan that has fatal effects, whether it takes five years or 500 years. 
Well, you know, the people who develop Bitcoin have the capacity to print infinite amounts of money, right? They just choose not to, right? So the Bitcoin developers, anytime they want, they can alter the code so that, like, all you have to do is say two plus two equals four to open a block, say, okay? They can remove the, you know, the, the monetary, they can remove the cap on the money supply of Bitcoin by altering a few lines of code. And they simply choose not to do that. And because they choose not to do that, they have better outcomes than, than does the Federal Reserve, who is facilitating the irresponsible spending of lunatics who are trying to buy votes. And so, like, Wait, and go ahead. Bitcoin is still a fiat currency, which isn't the best type. Well, you know, I, I would say that I understand that there are problems with Bitcoin, certainly. I'm not sure that you look if you were trying to go and do all your business in gold and silver and you were not like, you know, people who have tried to do this in New Hampshire, you're aware of this. Right? That, like people were trying to start silver currencies and this sort of thing. Well, you know, what is it? It's not Say's law. The, the thing that Gresham's law, bad money pushes out good, which is to say, right. you run around and you're you have a bunch of silver and you're like, I'd love to pay you in silver. And people are like, yeah, go ahead, pay me in silver. And then I'll go put it under my mattress and I'll go spend dollars or whatever. Right. And and <clears throat> so it, the the dollars become the preferred currency. It has a greater I think the term is velocity in economics. And and so like there, that's the money that's moving around. That's the money that's in circulation. And you're 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 welcome to come around and hand somebody some silver, and then he'll go put dollars in the cash register and put your silver in his pocket. More to the point, though, that like you take gold or silver or platinum or diamonds or you know whatever your whatever your um, more slowly expanding money supply monetary unit may be. Like if you are trying to if you're trying to conduct your business this way. You would not the price stability would not be the price stability of the dollar, right? It would actually drive you completely nuts when you go and you try to buy things with silver. You say, "What is the dollar price? What is the price of silver?" And you do this translation. And the idea that that like the idea that you just are going to I'm not saying that you're positing that this would happen, but there's no. It, it seems to me that. A fiat or a, I, I, I would just say fiat. Maybe there's a better, you know, conception of this. But fiat currency seems to be a a position that is not going to be done away with at the very least. And to talk about a superior monetary system is to deny is to deny the the fact of people's preferences. Okay, so like if you say, okay, well, we just shouldn't have fiat money, we should all trade in gold and silver. Well, if you do that, and another country has a fiat monetary system, and they're more successful than you economically, and then they defeat you militarily as a consequence of their superior economic power, well, then you're going to have a fiat monetary system. And if you, let's say the country's at war, and there's money is needed, and you say, well, we're going to have to get more people into the silver mines, or we can go and we can create a bunch of fiat money. They're going to create the fiat money. It's like it's not a close call. Losing the war or, or printing the money, they're, gonna, they're definitely going to do that. And that would be the prudent thing to do, which is why you shouldn't be printing money every time you want to buy votes of college students or something like that, you know? So do you think that a non-reserve or whether... I guess forget non-reserve, that a fractional reserve currency can be handled in a 
responsible way. So, I mean, I think that, hang on one second. Check, check. Okay, much better. So I, I, let us let me skip fractional reserve for a minute and just talk about fiat money generally, okay? The, the fractional reserve is a, is a – it's not an entirely different subject. I understand that. But that's like a function of the banking system where you're basically allowing them to lend out more money that they have, and, and that causes an increase in the money supply. But theoretically – Fractional reserve is you lend out the money and then the money is paid back and the money is like destroyed or whatever. Okay, it's not that, and and lending the money out that way creates a vacuum where it's it's different from just flooding the the market with with currency, say. Okay, and so it's not. I I just I just want to separate them as two different topics. Okay, so. A fiat monetary system, I think, is an inevitability because it's preferred, okay? So, like, if you if you try to – what you'd be doing is you'd be depriving people of what they want, and you don't need to – you don't need to be a, – a, a libertarian would understand the consequence of that is that a, a competing thing would come into the market and replace what you're doing. And so – and, you know, geopolitically, like I said, you know – I'm not saying that what we're doing militarily is smart. I'm saying precisely the opposite of that. But, you know, if there is if there is a capacity to increase your power comparative to another country and you decline that opportunity, then you're going to lose a war at some point. And so, like, you know, part of America's might on the world stage is that it, it has responsibly managed its money supply for longer than other countries. And the fact that we're not doing that now is what's going to remove us as the as the world's preeminent superpower. And that's a consequence of it's not a consequence of fiat money. It's a consequence of the fiat money being managed poorly. And so, like, you can say this was kind of the 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 thrust behind what I said in the episode of the show titled Misesian Socialism, which I know is nails on a chalkboard. But like what you need to do is you need to have people with an understanding of what's been called Austrian economics uh, apply that understanding to management of an economy, okay? You have people who, who understand economics who are saying, because of my understanding of economics, the government should not intervene in the economy. Well, no, that's a value judgment. Like, that's your subjective preference. As a matter of fact, it's possible to understand economics, to have a coherent view of economics, and apply coherent economics to central economic planning. And that's fundamentally like what needs to happen is is my view of it. You need to have sane, rational people who who manage these systems. And what you what you end up with is sane, rational people are like, these systems are bad. We shouldn't do them, which is why they get shut out of the conversation. And they're not the ones managing the system, which leads to the consequences that we're discussing now. Right, and that's at least a because what what we have now is it appears to be psychotic. Whether it's psychotic or whether it's malicious, I guess is up for debate. But and f- fiat money is not the end of the world to me. It's, I mean, I guess in that sense, it isn't inferior. It's the it's the fractional reserve and the non-reserve 
that because at least fractional reserve was slowing it down but that seems to me the because you're effectively giving people like legal alchemy well and, and let me let me intervene here so you're talking about the it, it's non-reserve meaning that it, during the covid pandemic the federal reserve reserve it removed reserve requirements that's what you're referencing when you say non-reserve right Yes. Okay. So, like, the consequences of that are not evident to everybody just yet. Okay. So, what what used to be the case is that the bank has to have, you know, the bank can lend out whatever ten times more money than the bank actually possesses. All right. And because that money is issued as debt, it it doesn't have the same effect as if you're throwing money out of a helicopter because there's a drawback on the money. Okay. So, like, the the you're, you haven't. You haven't eliminated the the demand for the labor, okay? So people they 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 create the money, and as a matter of fact, like this is actually if you think about it, this is actually a prudent thing to do, okay? When you if you invest money prudently, it creates more value, okay? And so when you lend money into existence, let's just talk about it as that instead of the fractional reserve thing for the moment, okay? When you lend money into existence and you do that prudently. People go and take the money and they create value to pay back the loan, okay? And so when you do that, you're not, you're actually not increasing the money supply comparative to the goods and services in the marketplace because the theory behind it is that the money will create new products and services in the marketplace. And so what causes inflation is when there's too many dollars chasing too few goods, as Milton Friedman famously said. And when you when you lend the money into existence, that is the, the there's a pressure to create the value. And so the theory in this is, you know, that that it doesn't increase inflation the same way, you know, just just throwing money out of a helicopter does. And so in that sense, fractional reserve banking makes plenty of sense, because if people go out and say, OK, let's say that you have a fixed money supply. And there's no supply. There's no money that can be increased comparative to goods and services in the marketplace. Well, the consequence of that is that prices must go down in perpetuity, and then you you need more decimal points on your transactions or whatever. Okay, like people actually don't want that. People want stable prices, and so responsible management of the money supply is money supply increases comparative to the goods and services in the marketplace. And so the way, how do you do that? Well, the Federal Reserve is like, well, we're going to try to have 2% inflation every year, which, which is, so we'll try to issue more currency than people can use so that prices go up. Well, that's like the Chicago school thing, and I think that that's irresponsible, okay? Your prices don't change uniformly. It's like they don't go up in, in, in parallel with the money supply. It's not how economics works, and they, they should know better because they've studied it longer than I have. What happens is prices are the same and then prices go up and everybody panics and then prices go chaos and then eventually they settle back down and everybody's like rewired as a consequence. What's really the sound thing to do is to lend money into existence to productive enterprise so the productive enterprise can go out and create value in the marketplace that that keeps injecting fresh money into the economy, but it does so in a manner that is not entirely disconnected from production. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, so maybe just 10% is insanely low or that it's mismatched because interest rates are zero in some cases, but the reserve requirements were, were until 2020, 
But but the, a, the, the reserve requirements are actually irrelevant to what I'm discussing. So like the reserve requirements are are a, are there for the inevitability that people will default. Okay, and so like when when people when people default on their loans or or everybody comes to get their money out of the bank or whatever, like you know a fractional reserve system with a with a central bank issuing the currency. Like if everybody shows up to the bank on the same day with dump trucks and says, I want all of my money, like you can go and you can print all the dollars and put them in the dump trucks. Okay. Like it actually doesn't matter. Like the number of it's, that doesn't, that doesn't matter in the slightest. What matters is that the currency in circulation has some relation to the, the, the goods and services in the marketplace. That's, that's all that matters. Like the actual existence of the monetary units is, it's all, it's completely irrelevant to the equation. What matters is that there's not there's not fake value being created by the currency. If there's if there's fake value being created by the currency, then you're creating artificial demand, which is going to drive up the prices. The driving up the prices is what we call inflation, and then that happens. People start they maybe they don't realize what's going on, but as a consequence of greater competition for the goods and services. Then, then, then it creates havoc in the economy, and then people expect price increases as a consequence of prior increases, and then everybody's trying to readjust, and they actually don't know how to do that because there's no there's no coherent way of of estimating it, and then you end up with the chaos that we had all through you know 2021, 2022, and so you know it, it, like the 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 number of monetary units in circulation is it's. I'm not saying I don't want to say that it's irrelevant, but I could almost say that because that's not the that's not the question at issue. It's a matter of like is value being is actual value being generated that the money in circulation represents. And as soon as that ceases to be the case, there's there's no monetary system that can make up for that, right? Right. So so it can be managed more like new issuances of new stock. Although that would only apply to, it, it seems like what you're saying would only apply to investment loans and it wouldn't really apply to, the consumer loans would still have the same problem. So when people need to go take out a loan to buy a car, that would still cause inflation. But investment loans would really act more like stock issuances. Well, if you go out and you buy a car and then you go to work and you have some kids and you, you, know, you do all the things that a person does with a car then, you know, arguably your car loan is not inflationary, right? So let's just say that the government goes and buys everybody a new car. Well, you know, I don't think that that's prudent because if the government just goes out and buys everybody a new car, not everybody's going to use the car prudently to make the, the investments in the economy or whatever, okay? But, you know, if the government goes and if the money issuer, forget about the government, whoever it is, <clears throat> is, is, Issuing currency for the purposes of increasing production, however it does that, if the money if the money being issued is being put into production increases, then the theory is that there's more value being created in the marketplace. And a car is not entirely disconnected from that. But, you know, if you just go buy everybody a car, but like, you know, take an easier example that if you just go start issuing currency, if you just start printing money so that people can buy marijuana, say, okay? Everybody go buy pot and everybody go get high and then everybody has enough money to spend on food and they're just going to, you know, smoke marijuana and eat chips all day. 
Well, like they're not producing. And so the consequence is very clear there that you're going to end up with hyperinflation very rapidly if you start doing stuff like that. But if the money's being issued prudently, however it's being issued, whether it's, you know, whether you're trying to subsidize family formation or whether you're trying to subsidize the, the, the building of a factory, you know, as long as the issuance of the currency is not disconnected from the production of value in the marketplace, then then you're not then I don't think that you're creating the type of inflationary pressures that create the chaos that we saw in 21 and 22. Uh, I think that that's fundamentally what's what's happening here. So like when when politicians come in and they say, oh, well, you know what we really need to do is we need to subsidize poverty. Well, we understand what happens. You subsidize something, you get more of it. You, you know, you're subsidizing poor people and you're subsidizing their breeding. You get more poor people who have greater demands and what they demand is consumption. And so you're just subsidizing consumption and you subsidize consumption by issuing currency, then prices go up. You're creating more, you're not creating more value in the marketplace. You're just increasing demand. And if you increase demand and you don't increase supply, then prices go up. It's, it's fairly straightforward. And so like, if you think about if you don't think about it in terms of monetary units, you just think about it in terms of supply and demand. If, when you issue the money, are you increasing demand or are you increasing supply? And if you're increasing one more than the other, well, then you're going to change price pressures, right? That's what I'm thinking about. And I mean, like, and I, and I think that this is completely lost in all monetary policy discussion because you have basically... People who are saying that the government shouldn't print money or that the government shouldn't subsidize things. And then you have people saying that the government should subsidize consumption. Well, like somebody has to turn around and be like, no, we need a coherent economic policy. The government's going to intervene in the economy and we need responsible people to manage it. But there was all the people who fancy themselves as responsible are saying that the government should intervene. So the only people who are advocating intervention are advocating the, the subsidy of consumption. And so, okay, well, you know, we don't need to figure out what that's going to do. That's going to increase demand. It's not going to increase supply. You're going to have inflationary pressures. Go ahead and you issue money to increase supply. And then eventually you will have to, you, you may have to subsidize demand because, you know, you're going to have, you know, more supply than demand. And then, you know, that's the idea. Okay, I'm going to have to think about that one because especially since the fact they did a pretty good job of hiding the ball to where people didn't even know what fractional reserve currency was until really recently. It just seems like an inherently suspicious thing, but I'll, I'll have to think about that one. Yeah, they're, they're, um, what they're doing is nefarious, right? So, like, they're doing disreputable things because they're bad people, and when you have bad people managing the money supply, then bad things are going to happen. I mean, that's a predictable consequence of bad people in being in charge, you know? And so, you know, so... I appreciate uh, I appreciate the opportunity to articulate that idea. Um, anybody uh, anybody else want to chime in on this or anything else? Well, if the answer is no, then I will uh, I will wrap it up. And so uh, yeah, so thank you very much for tuning in this evening. I appreciate that we had uh, we had some fun engagement. Uh, I think that uh, I like to talk about economics. I don't get a chance to do that often enough. So thank you very much, Anarcho Christian Mom. I, I appreciated the opportunity to do that, and um, we can do more of that in the future. I see Tony likes that too. That's good. Um, you know, that's the thing. Look, the whole entire point of the enterprise here, the whole entire point of politics, is to have you know, 
good people in charge of the government, okay? And and like if and if bad people are in charge of the government, then bad things are going to happen. I think is a is not the most controversial thing that has ever been said by a humble correspondent. And so uh, I think that uh, you know we used to call it common sense extremism. We're just it's just common sense now. You know, you need good people to be in charge. Otherwise, bad things will happen. That's kind of the thrust of the idea here. And that's why we uh, we just keep on we're just gonna keep on hammering on that point. Why do I hear myself twice? Do I? No, everything's fine. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'll be back Friday for an uncensored production. Be back Monday for Surreal Politics. We'll be back here next Wednesday. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for making this possible. Uh, you want to buy me some wires? You can go to the Amazon wish list. You want to go uh, give me some more money than you already give me? GiveSendGo.com slash SPM. And uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Love talking. And we'll do it more soon.